0: And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show.
1: Hey there, this is Ralph Garman, and you are listening to the World of Myth Bits. You made an excellent choice. Welcome to the World of Myth Bits. We are your hosts, Jenna and Joe Sparks. And this is episode 116.
0: (laughs) Unamass. The world of myth, bitch.
1: All right, so we've got a little bit of housekeeping to start us off on this episode. So, first of all, All seats have been filled for the board of directors, so I'm going to give you the lineup now. We've got David K. Montoya, CEO, Stephanie J. Barty, Editor-in-Chief of Publications, Mr. Kevin Adams, The World of Myth Magazine, Christopher Harris, Editor-in-Chief for Dark Myth Comics, Kyle D. Dobbs, director of Open Contracts Challenge, and then outside directors we have L. Allen Russo Jr., founder of New Blood Films and Zombie Works Publications, and Michael D. Duncan, the IT specialist. So congratulations to everybody and their roles, and um, yeah. So, that also means that all members of the board, with the exception of David K. Montoya, will be recognized as junior vice presidents of the J. Zomon Slash Dark Myth Company. So, again, huge congratulations. So, that takes us over to David K. Montoya, uh, will formally nominate himself as chairman of the newly established board in their first meeting. And this upcoming issue will be the first issue of the World of Myth magazine with the new stipulations put in place back in December. So as far as I know, everything is run very smoothly. So excellent work, everybody. And that will take us over to the Open Contract Challenge. So Open Contract Challenge 2021 will be looking for judges. Um, If you're interested, go ahead and contact us at OCC. At jzimon.com. and our final bit of news: Soft talks have begun between um, David, Mon- David Montoya. uh stumbling over my own tongue here. Uh, soft talks has begun between Dave and the San Bernardino County Fairgrounds to nail down a new date for PCE 2021, which is kind of getting set in uh, place. For the last week of October or mid-September. So we're just going to kind of have to keep seeing and, and waiting what what is going on with COVID and all of that fun stuff. Allow me to jump on my soapbox again, as I have a habit of doing. Um, So I kind of wanted to talk about something that actually happened and is what instigated this conversation because it's really kind of been bothering me all week. And uh, you've gotten to listen to me go on and on and on about it. Um And now you, the audience, gets to as well. So join me. It goes without saying that there is an intense bias in the media. And I know I always repeat myself and go on and on about representation and how important it is and something I think we really need to prioritize in what we are taking in, Uh, but I really wanted to talk a little bit more about about it and kind of strive to, I guess, adapt and uh, really, really think about our personal relationship with what we see um, but also really drive these kind of these points home. So what really spurred this desire to talk about um, representation it stems from reality as most of these prompts do. So our niece um, she is, seven and um, amazing. For she's very, very girly. She really likes the princesses and really, really feminine aimed media. Um, And she's also deaf. And most of what she... Everything that she's absorbing, then, it means that it's 100% visual. Um, so, because, unfortunately, the media... She can only read so well. And when you look at a TV screen, and <laughs> she's only going to pick up what she's able to see based on actions and appearance. Maybe a word here and there, but not enough for full-on context, I mean, think about being a kid in general. Think about, you know, the stuff you glimpsed and how much context you understood. Um, You know, same, same thing. So, my own adolescence uh, made me think about, it made me think that that these biases could kind of come from auditory and visual manifestations, But I'm starting to really pay close attention to what this kid is seeing. And the sad truth is that all it takes for her to pick up on biases is that visual aspect. So somehow she has formed an opinion that, in particular, fat people are bad. Um, Really, anyone that doesn't fit into or conform to the world she's deemed as the accurate world in her little kid mind. So, it's weird because I was talking to my mom about it and the first thing she asked, she's like, well, how can we counteract this? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, and it's, it's hard because we can't easily explain to her how different everybody is and how those differences are great and how those differences mean something different for every person who's experiencing those differences or, or whatever. And, um, it's partly, I understand like partly she's, she's a kid, you know, and we're all stubborn and easily manipulated as kids. <laughs> but it's it's weird trying to figure out how to undo this like corruption that's already hit her mind with essentially very little awareness. You know what I mean? So I want you I'm gonna ask you a question before we go much further. And I want you to dig in the trenches of your mind, think back to when you were a young boy. Name me a cartoon character that maybe spurred something within you as a as a young boy, uh, in particular of the female gender.
0: Um. Well, I'm pretty sure that on the cartoon aspect uh the the japanese anime has always had hyper sexualized characters
1: japanese yeah japanese anime is right. notorious right. for their very odd <laughs> uh choices and that's not to knock anime i like anime but it's yeah they're or
0: that or like the superhero stuff like that yeah i think like what was that the um uh, justice league or that one Mm-mm. justice league uh, they had all, uh, but all of those. Of yeah,
1: yeah, all of those. I mean, you think back to like uh, Poison Ivy and how she was illustrated, Harley Quinn, obviously, uh, and yeah, they were very voluptuous right. characters, um, and that's just scratching the surface. Think of um, anthropomorphic animals in animation, right, and how they're illustrated. Every single one, for some reason has boobs which is a choice uh what was uh, an american tale and i always think of that one for some reason because i loved those movies growing up and um what was the the cat the 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 lady cat and she was very um very sexual for lack of a better term. <laughs> so, and and honestly, it doesn't take a lot to kind of look and see. And these are children's animations, okay? So, like I said, we're going to go kind of on a journey here. So, follow along. So, when it comes to animation and, um, again, talking about animation that is targeted towards children, um, there was a study conducted oh, by...
0: I, I think my examples wouldn't be 100% for children then.
1: Well, no, but I think, like, Misty from Pokemon. Right. You know, I think she's a good example. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, just on, on the most basic of, of spectrums. Like...
0: Right. Okay. You know. Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, a 2010 study by Dr. Stacey L. Smith and Mark Chueti, uh revealed that a higher percentage of females, 24%, than males, only at 4%, are shown in sexy, tight, or alluring attire. Females are more likely than their male counterparts to be beautiful, i.e. luscious eyelashes, um, really svelte body types, probably some kind of makeup, Um, societally opinionated constructs of what beauty is. Uh, 14% versus 3.6% and portrayed with some exposed skin between the mid chest and upper thigh regions. 18.5% versus 5.6%. Though not depicted, waist size is also related to uh, gender with a higher percentage of females than males shown with a small waist, 22.9% versus 4.5%. As noted in their other reports, this leaves females with little room for a womb or any other internal organs. So go ahead. (laughs) I know it's animation We have... a. It's it's up to the imagination, but it's a little absurd. Um,
0: I wonder if it's their depiction or their...
1: Well, somebody posted a picture of Pixar women. And I don't know if anybody... I mean, like, I know everybody's noticed the mom butts in Pixar animation, but there's, like, absurd, like... Teeny tiny little like stick waists and then gigantic butts. And that's, I mean, like, that's not to say that that's not a body type, but it's really exaggerated. (laughs) So, um, the percent, and this is where it kind of shifts. So don't worry, I'm not targeting anything, but, um, the percentage of characters with a large chest males. At 15.3% versus females at 12.6%. So it's still pretty, like, even out there where it's like men are portrayed with really, like, bulging pectorals and whatnot. Um, Or an unrealistic body image. So males at 2.9% versus females at 7.5%. It varies significantly but not meaningfully. Less than 5% with gender. So basically, at the end of the day, as the study kind of concludes, it's that females curb appeal is more important than their male counterparts. So and this is, again, targeted at children. We're talking G and PG rated movies. Now, I also want to point out that there is nothing wrong With showing women in this way, showing women who are sexual or who are dressed a certain way, there's nothing wrong with that. The difference is that it's targeting the value of this woman um, fictional (laughs) character toward children and saying that basically their physical appeal is more important and more important than any other part of their uh, character. So... (laughs) And, and, I mean, like, it works both ways. I get it. Like, you think of characters like Johnny Bravo. Johnny Bravo is notoriously, like, a weird shape. Or, um, oh, my gosh, what's his name? From Paranorman, one of my favorite movies. Um, it's just, it's, there are, you know, examples for both genders. Unfortunately, the targets toward young girls, it's a little more peculiar um in that regard so and I get it that it's not really going to (laughs) matter to everybody but when you also kind of take into account that a lot of these designs again please stay with me (laughs) are dominantly created to benefit and from the male gaze um it gets kind of alarming. So when I say the male gaze, what do you
0: Um anything that's appealing? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so okay, if you if you don't know And Joe gets to listen to me talk about this all the time. So (laughs) if you don't know what the male gaze is, and before any defenses go up, just hear me out. It is defined as the act of depicting women and the world from a masculine heterosexual perspective that presents and represents women as sexual objects for the pleasure of the heterosexual viewer. So let me give you an example. Best example. (laughs) And there's tons of examples, but let me give you uh, probably the first one that comes to mind. So, if you watched Suicide Squad, keep opinions to yourselves here. uh, If you saw it, the depiction of Harley Quinn was... She was hot, right? She was um, a woman who was really defined... By her desirability by the like from minute one, the minute we are introduced to Harley Quinn and the Joker, the whole like the the main first scene where uh, we see the Joker sitting in his club or whatever with Harley Quinn. She's dancing and he's having a conversation with uh, some dude played by Common uh, about like, that's my girl. That's my girl. Isn't she gorgeous? Isn't she beautiful? Right. Um, and I mean, you look at the whole thing. You look at the close up shots of parts of her body. You look at um, I mean, like there's the whole montage where they're getting ready to go out, you know, officially as a suicide squad. And she's, you know, uh, arching her back in just the right way. Um, It's a far cry from the Harley Quinn that was depicted in Birds of Prey. And yes, Birds of Prey is also a very different story that we're hearing about from the point of view of Harley uh, leaving the Joker. It's, it's the emancipation of Harley Quinn. So with that aside, Birds of Prey was created or written by and directed by women versus Suicide Squad, which was not. Um, <laughs> so the Harley Quinn we get in uh, Birds of Prey is she's still wearing, like, minimal clothing. She's wearing short shorts. She's wearing, like, uh, fairly revealing clothing. She's wearing really, like... (sighs) I guess you'd call them sexy outfits, as are a lot of the characters. Um, But you look at the difference of cinematography and camera work alone, and these outfits, this, this portrayal, is not about her sexual appeal anymore. It's just an outfit she's wearing. You know, it's just a cute outfit. That's it. Everything else about her story, though, and I think this may be why a lot of people wound up hating this movie, is because uh, suddenly she's not defined by that anymore. And that's, again, probably the best example I can think of. So, again, please, before anybody gets up in arms or really defensive, the male gaze is just something that has been practiced in the media and it's so normal anymore. And the minute you start to change it you really kind of start to notice the differences. Um, in fact, a quick side story. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Me and um, the teenager of the house, we were playing a video game. Some of you may have played it. Uh, Death Stranding, which is an amazing, phenomenal game. Play it. Um, super, super brilliant and I had to comment it's it's the stupidest thing because it's like just absolutely the barest (laughs) but it's like there's a character named fragile and she's so normal looking I mean she's gorgeous but she's so like there's nothing exaggerated on her that she's just a person who's wearing like this uh like traveler's leather outfit and she's not got bouncing triple Ds or, you know, a giant, you know, butt with a teeny tiny waist or anything like that. She's just a normal person with a normal physique. So, okay, sorry, I had to point that out and applaud Hideo Kojima for uh, creating that game. Um, So when we apply all of this, the male gaze and Um, These concepts of beauty to children's media, we can see that the statistics are there. I gave the numbers. They're there. Um, Women are portrayed in a way that elaborates on their sexual appeal only for children to absorb. Now, I also want to make it clear, again, that women have every right to dress uh, however they want. There is nothing shaming about this episode but the difference is from whom is that perspective coming from and what is the aim if you look at a lot of these characters their point and purpose is again their desirability um an american tale the the sexy cat you know her entire point and purpose is how she entrances uh John Candy's cat, right? It was John Candy who voiced the cat? Uh, <laughs> the boy cat, you know? Um, and it's just, it's like that all around. Um, so, okay. There is that part of the spectrum. Now we're going to move into fat phobia. So when all of that is normalized, that's just how animation is. And that's just what's out there. Um, going to go ahead and throw some more statistics out there. So, according to a study, re- a study by research ast- associate Chelsea A. Huar, MPH from Yale University, seventy-two percent of representation of fat people in the news and media are demoralizing. So, again, I'm going to ask you, <laughs> uh, name a fat character. Who is not defined by their weight?
0: Oh, I'm gonna have to go with uh, John Goodman in Arachnophobia.
1: In Arachnophobia.
0: Yeah, remember he comes in and he starts to demolish oh. the spiders, and he's like, "Yeah, that's right, I'm bad." Okay.
1: <laughs> so, all right, there's one. Name me another.
0: Uh, Mo from Zoe's extraordinary playlist.
1: I mean, like, yeah, we can go on there like Otho from Beetlejuice. The point is though, is um it's really hard to think of characters who aren't defined by their weight. So let's go ahead and list off the characters who are fat in the media who are defined by their weight. Uh fat Monica from Friends. That's fun. Uh Fat Schmidt from New Girl. Um Fat Bastard from Austin Bowers. Uh Sherman Klump. From The Nutty Professor, Rosemary from Shallow Hell, Fat Amy from Pitch Perfect, countless. Even going into uh, not comedic portrayals, you go into like the This Is Us with Cressy Metz, Metz, who is an amazing actress, but her character is really defined about her disordered eating as a fat person. Um, and there's so many others. The one show I think I can really commend is Shrill starring Aidy Bryant, who the story really kind of starts with her being very uh, defined by her weight. But then it progresses to the point where it's like it's the fat acceptance, which is great. I love Shrill. It's one of the best shows out there. Um, But it still deals about deals with the fact that we're seeing life from a fat perspective. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Which life is different if you're fat? Take it from me. I am fat. Like I know and see these biases, these biases. Um, and so also, what was that stupid movie Um Date Night with Allison Hannigan? And there's that horrible, horrible freaking dance montage just cracking up now see (laughs) so we're always told it's like and i'm sure you know if there's somebody who's really um skeptical about the subject who might be listening going you know it's just it kind of goes with the territory it's like be fat and jolly whatever um it's just it's it's a disturbing amount of of characters who are portrayed so negatively based on their weight and um it's really annoying and I will give credit to some shows for kids like Steven Universe and she where you know bodies are portrayed very differently um but the fact of the matter is there's really not any great amount of media out there to expose kids in particular and even us adults who are really pushing. There's so much like uh, a fat phobia that I've internalized about myself Um, and trying to unlearn that, trying to, you know, it's like just trying to not hate myself based on my appearance, trying to take myself seriously. Like I can't even tell you guys how much I went through, you know, it's like, if I had, um, say, uh, a romantic interest and it was very uh, emotional for me, um, first of all, it's not even okay. Anyway, the <laughs> point is it was almost like I, as a fat person, wasn't allowed to feel those emotions because there's no – like when you're shown these these things in the media, um, it's usually normal. For fat people just to be kind of shuffled off to the side. There's even that movie Duff, the designated ugly fat friend, which I was. But (laughs) who, let's also point out, was portrayed by Mae Whitman, who is a gorgeous, very normal sized person. Um, Also, uh, what's her face in Love Actually? The very normal sized actress who is repeatedly called fat. Um, you know, it's just it's it's absurd. You know, these the way that we're constantly reinforcing this like hatred of fat people. And it's not just like a dista- distaste, it's an actual like absolute repulsion of fat people. So it's it's a little tricky to again navigate the ways to counteract that with kids especially a kid who can't hear who can't like you can't explain in in full detail about you know what it means to respect people and not be a bully about it you know um and look um fine You know, we, we as a society, again, we, we deem obesity as the, this villain, um, being immoral, disgusting, and unhealthy, but it's, it's kind of reached this point where, like, fat people have to repeatedly prove to the world that they are worthy of respect and acknowledgement that's not just based on their fatness, you know, um, And it's 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 exhausting, first of all. And it's interesting even when famous people who lose weight publicly um, look at like Jonah Hill, um, uh, Rebel Wilson, Adele, they all lost a a lot of weight and um, there's nothing wrong with that. But the media (laughs) really kind of the way the media started talking about them based on their weight loss, was that somehow now they're better humans for it. And it's, it's just, it's such normalized behavior. And, um, again, it's just, it's really disturbing and really frustrating. Um, and our, our relationship to what we see in the media is so, (laughs) it's just, it's so painfully apparent in our subconscious that it almost feels like it's pointless to discuss because um there's going to be the people who are like, oh, you're you're glorifying obesity or you are, you know, just really trying to make something out of nothing or, you know, anything like that, which I get it coming from a woman. It automatically <laughs> makes it not as big a deal. um And I'm sure there's going to be Um, a lot of discussion at some point (laughs) about how annoying this is. And I get it. Like, nobody likes talking about these things, but that's why these are problems. Because we don't talk about them. Um, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who have a lot of trauma based on growing up as a fat kid. I know I do. Um, and I know it exists. And it's just, it's really hard to live in a society that essentially just, like, villainizes you based on your appearance. And that goes, this is, like, such a minuscule portion of that. Like, I'm not talking about bigger aspects of, you know, societal condemnation of uh, people, because that is a whole other conversation. Uh, Specifically, we're talking about weight. And so again like that's kind of really why I wanted to talk about this and as creators that is our responsibility that is what we do right we create this narrative of what people see and of course you have the the head honchos who decide what what goes out there but imagine if all you're putting out there is stuff that has nothing essentially to do with appearance you know what I mean? Like, what if you... That is one thing that I think is really fascinating, especially since we've kind of jumped on board with the the world of myth and and reviewing everything. Um, I think it's really fun that a lot of writers don't actually give in-depth descriptions of their characters. And I love that because that sets a standard for um, people to form and build a relationship with these characters where they might be able to see themselves. Um or it's you can you can kind of just apply via your imagination to how this character might look, you know. And I think that's a really great gift to give readers. And I mean, like even look at like True Blood. Sookie St- Sookie Stackhouse was written as being like essentially chubby, and look at who they cast. In and, and Anna Paquin is a teeny tiny girl <laughs> like she's very skinny and it's just that was a nice big smack in the face um and so I think that's where like I said we as creators can have that power to make sure that there is this representation and making sure that we're just not eliminating based on appearance in what we're creating. Do you know what I mean?
0: Also, I think it too, it would take on account what the character is doing, you know, what their physical aptitude is. Oh, well, of course, you know, Um, but it's
1: like, there's, um, you know, you look at that and, and there's, uh, weightlifters who, you know, look fat, but they are not, (laughs) you know, they, that's all there for a reason. And so you know, it's not like you would have. I mean, it's it's the mountain in Game of Thrones. Like, it only makes sense that that dude is big, and not with the the showmanship type of muscles.
0: Yeah, that's because he's a he's a he's a power lifter, not exactly. a, a bodybuilder. Yeah. If he was a bodybuilder, he'd be clean and cut. Yeah, you know, he's a power lifter. Um, so with those two differences too, is like if you had a female bodybuilder she would be cleaning cut too mm-hmm. you know um,
1: cause you see and it's like I even saw a picture getting shared on social media of like bodybuilders women bu- bodybuilders and it was just like the comments were just mean like as what just it was like oh well you know I couldn't imagine taking one of them home with me just really nasty things and it's like first let of all that's
0: an insecure person right there oh yeah let me tell you what hands man.
1: down like no, respect. <laughs>
0: just keep handing her, hand her pickle <laughs> jars. And be like, hey, can you open <laughs> this one too? I, uh, I can get behind the casting decision, you know, cartoon or live action otherwise. <laughs> if you just want a normal or plus size person, you know, in existence within this realm, I feel it's a large issue behind uh, who's making the product. Exactly. You know.
1: Because essentially what are movies? They're advertisements.
0: All I can see is this line of cartoon characters designs, you know, and the character design director goes through and and checks them off of which ones they want to have on there. Not very much like actors or actresses, you know, and they're all lined up for the same uh, position, you know, and now you have, you know, 200, or I'm not quite sure of the whole process, but you have like 200 female, you know, blonde actresses waiting for the same role and they all mm-hmm. kind of look a little bit like, you know, but um, the casting director comes through and looks at them and you know, if everything checks all the boxes and they can go ahead and uh, shoot to shoot to sign some paperwork, yeah. you know. Um. But yeah, I get it. You know, you just want to have equal representation which is the big issue of the day you know with uh, everybody not represented
1: yeah and I think that's all it is it's you know we see so many people who aren't um, represented in a way that it just feels ridiculous you know because and I know it's it's a it's a big conversation because like I said we're we're talking about a small, fraction of representation here but it's you know like when people say oh um it's kind of silly to look Sia Sia just got her butt handed to her for she made a movie I guess and she cast um a not autistic person to portray an autistic person and the fact of the matter is it's like Why would it be so hard to have cast an autistic person to portray an autistic person, you know? And, um, But then, again, that kind of falls into this, you know, uh, spectrum of if you are this way, if you are autistic, if you are fat, if you are, you know, a person of color... It's that um, your story has to be based on that fact about you, you know, and it's what I've been kind of arguing this whole podcast about uh, not being typecast that, you know, you're a fat person, your entire story is about being fat, you know what I mean? So it, it gets a little confusing, but it's like there are... Just there are ways to do it. And again, it's like you said, it's like when you see these representations, these the people involved, the behind the scenes, they don't want these what's considered unappealing. They don't. They're going to go with, um you know, uh the the. Traditionally attractive person, as opposed to maybe somebody who's an amazing uh, character or actor, but they're two hundred and fifteen pounds and five foot three, and the role doesn't call for that. You're they're, you're not auditioning for Tracy Turnblad or um, you know a role like that where you're specifically ordered to be fat. It's just it's.
0: I think maybe they too. That could be an issue with the large production companies because they're also looking at dollar signs. Exactly. You know, I mean, I'm not sure about the situation with Sia and what movie uh, you speak of, but um, that's going to get kind of hard too, like when they have people who are not a certain way, but they're portrayed by others because that is kind of the acting bubble that is you know. but
1: and agreed but okay so i guess like also in the stand they hired a, uh, a seeing person to play the role of a blind person there's blind actors <laughs> like blind actors who can't find work uh you know because you have seeing actors who are playing blind characters it's as simple as that you know it's not casting it's 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 looking for people who have these authentic experiences who have been kind of kicked down in the dirt for so long and told that they can't do this or they'll never have like a normal career and you know it's it's warwick davis he actually um you know really really like he has a whole production uh not company but um like guild for little people specifically and it's like it's hiring gary oldman to play a little person you know it just it's like what Moulin Rouge is one of my favorite movies, but Gary. come on, like huh? A
0: little Gary. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's like you know, it's just being more aware of what we're seeing. You know, I know every time I see um a deaf character, I on Grey's Anatomy, they introduced a deaf doctor. And the first thing I did was I showed my niece, and she was like, This is cool. Because, you know, she's signing, she's, and it was actually a deaf actor portraying this deaf doctor. And it was super amazing to see this for the sake of my niece who doesn't see that very often. The worst part about that was that it lasted approximately three minutes total screen time in that episode. Like, that actress really didn't. And it sucks because you're like, it'd be amazing to have this as a returning character who has, like, massive amounts of screen time that we can see. You know, anytime there is something and it's like and I feel like the the simplest we shouldn't I shouldn't feel that excited to see that. It should just be normal. And you know, we always talk about let's say, you know, let's go back to um autism. And how it's like basically, you know, there's there's a lot of what of opinions in the community about um, essentially how there's a lot of autistic people who feel like they need to be fixed because that's what society has said. Like, no, you you know, you need to be fixed. Even anti-vaxxers with this like adamant like. We don't like autism like it's just it's this weird like hatred and it just it doesn't make sense instead of just doing the common sense thing and making the world making us more accessible for autistic people to live and thrive because perfectly fine perfectly normal it's just we live in a society that is so one-sided it has to be this one way no other way. And so it kind of goes the same with, you know, hearing or or uh, seeing people. We live in this world that is so accessible for people that the minute you see somebody who's represented on in the media, like I said, you get super excited because it's like, oh my gosh, finally. And that's just ridiculous because that's not our world. Our world is filled with these things, with these people who... Aren't just, you know, they aren't just blind or deaf or autistic or fat. You know, it's like it's just that's just absurd to me that we don't just see that, you know, we don't just have that. Like, and I will say, and sorry, I'm working on some magicians drawings right now so it's really fresh in my mind but I think the magicians did a lot of really great things in that they had like disabled people they had um you know there were trans actors and their stories had nothing to do with disabilities or being trans it just they were it was a trans actor it was um you know a, a disabled actor it just it's that simple And I think we could just do a lot better at that. And I guess that's kind of what this tangent is about. Because, again, like, I don't want my niece to grow up being, like, just a bully who thinks that being traditionally pretty or being skinny or being really girly that the only way to be a woman is to have kids because trust me she asks me regularly if I'm pregnant it's weird um <laughs> but she it's like I don't want her to grow up thinking that and so however subliminally these messages have gotten into her head because we I mean I don't know if you guys can tell but we're a open-minded in our household, and we really try to reinforce uh, a lot of inclusivity. But apparently it still falls flat on a kid, you know, whether it's she's watching YouTube or playing a game or whatever it is. It's just, it's hard to feel like we have more control over this narrative and i guess that's kind of maybe where i'm coming from is this insecurity that i feel like I, i don't have any control over how to really show her things and make her understand the wider world and especially being this young seven years old i didn't see the world when i was seven like i'm pretty sure you didn't did you
0: like, absolutely not <laughs> exactly
1: so it's tough but i really like i don't know um i'm not gonna apologize <laughs> for going on this rant i feel like i said things that needed to be said and uh i don't really care if people want to pretend that i'm glorifying obesity or fetishizing it or whatever i just uh it was a very important thing i needed to talk about
0: I, I mean I, I can see where it's coming from um, it's just uh, just needs some more proper r- representation you know uh, Netflix go ahead push those scripts take us home
1: <laughs> all right you can find us at the dot on Facebook and Twitter at the world of myth bits podcast and the world of myth magazine as well as on Instagram at the world of myth Thanks for listening. Until next time.
0: The world of myth, bitch.
1: And don't come at me saying it's a health thing, because you know what? You don't know if that 110 pound uh, actress is healthy either. Like, you just don't know. Boom, mic drop.